Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I'm DM Mitch. And today we're going to be talking about monsters as PC races, and we have an awesome friend and guest joining us, James Intracasso. A returning guest. Yes. James Intracasso. Yes. yes. It's good to have him back. We liked him enough to have him join us once again. <laughs> Even after that debacle with that iTunes review where I had to sing Katy Perry. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know. But that led to some amazing, amazing fan-made songs for our show, so we'll forgive him. We'll forgive him. True we have some iTunes reviews that we want to read. So the first five-star iTunes reviews comes from Crazed Artist, and it's entitled DN Delightful. Five stars. This is one of the first two RPG podcasts I subscribe to, and I have enjoyed it for years now. Lots of great advice, brainstorming sessions for ideas, and more. And that's from Jen, or Pixelscapes. We love Jen. Yes. She's awesome. Yes, she makes do. some awesome D&D art in the style of tokens for monsters. You should go and follow yeah. her on Twitter at Pixelscapes. So the next one up is from DM Daniel, a.k.a. Claude Wright. I already like this person because they have an a.k.a. <laughs> and it in, is entitled Best of the Best, Five Stars. If it wasn't for this podcast, I would have never got the idea for my current world. My players have given a lot of compliments about it, and it's all thanks to the DMs block. Short and sweet, and thank you very much, DM Daniel. Yeah, and you thanks. don't have to tell your players you listen to us. You just keep that to yourself. Exactly. You're doing the real work. So. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, we have DM Silver Owl writing in with a review entitled Love the Show. A beautiful collection of ideas, great show another short and sweet one thank you dm silver owl we really appreciate that review but with that let's head to the meat i'm starving we ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days why can't we have some meat the flat meat back on the menu boys So for the meet today, we have an awesome guest back joining us again. We have James Intracasso, game designer and co-founder of the Don't Split the Podcast Network. James, welcome back to the Dungeon Masters Block. I don't know if you know this, James, but this episode that's airing right now is exactly 100 episodes since you last have been on. Is that true? That's true. Yep. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, well, I'm super excited to be here, so I can't wait to see you all in episode 247. That's right. This is, now uh, it's got to be a thing, right? This is your 100th episode anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super excited to be here. By the way, congratulations. Uh, having this many episodes is a huge, huge feat. Uh, oh, and they're all really, really good. So, um, yeah, awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, since it's been 100 episodes, we have the half interview, half not question of what has more of like, what have you been working on lately, as well as like, what has changed? You know, and obviously the fact that they were introducing you as a co founder of the Don't Split the Podcast Network. So, kind of a, what's happened up till now and what do you have coming soon? Yes, so last time I was on the block, 
We'll call it the block, right? And that's a yep. that's a cool. It's been nickname. called the block before. <laughs> it's been called the block. Uh, so last time I was here, we uh, I was a member of the Tome Show podcast, and I have since uh, broken away from the Tome Show. Everything's good. We love the Tome Show. Jeff Greiner is amazing. Love him so much for helping us get our start. Uh, but Rudy Basso and I wanted to found our own podcast network and have a little bit more uh, sort of freedom with what we were creating, and so we went ahead and did that, and now we run Don't Split the Podcast Network. It's got a show called Tabletop Babble, where we talk about tabletop role-playing games, we talk about news, and we have, you know, fascinating designers on, give advice. Uh, you both have been on, on our review episode for Tales from the Awning Portal. That's right. Uh, so that's been super, super duper fun, and we have a ton of other great shows on there. Dames and Dragons, Venture Maidens, DM's Deep Dive with Mike Shea. Game O'Clock, if you love video games, with Rudy Basso. So we've been doing a, a ton of stuff there in that arena, and it has just been amazing working on multiple shows. I think I saw what you all were doing over here with Block Party, and I was like, <laughs> that seems fun. I want to do that. Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> sort of how that happened. Uh, turns out it's also a lot of work. You guys could have uh, maybe given me some inside info about that. Following before your dreams I is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It takes a lot of work. Uh, I'd much rather follow them in my sleep. And so we did that. And then I've also, game design-wise, I've been working on a lot of projects. Some things that I can't talk about yet, but if you follow worldbuilderblog.me, which is the site I had mentioned last time I was on, um, that's my blog. You can get updates about what's going to be happening over there. And I did join the Dungeon Masters Guild Adepts program, uh, which makes mm -hmm. content that supports the upcoming hardcover releases for um, Wizards of the Coast for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Uh, nice. So that has been really, really fun and rewarding. I've been working with a team of uh, 10 other people, and we uh, get the books like a couple weeks early in advance, and then we just make fun PDFs that are all available on the Dungeon Masters Guild. So that's been really awesome as well. Fantastic. Yeah, so we will, of course, as we always do, have the links for all of that in the show notes. If you haven't since the last hundred episodes checked out by now James's <laughs> World Builder blog, you need to go and check that out and check out his work <laughs> on the Dungeon Masters Guild. So, James, before we wrap up this interview, uh, I don't know if we were doing it the last time you were on, but we are certainly doing it now. We've we got a surprise question for you as we do all of our guests. So this surprise <laughs> question comes from one of our Patreon dragons, DM Deadly Sprinkles, a fantastic name. <laughs> That's and, great. <laughs> and DM Deadly Sprinkles asks, how would your aspect look if you were a deity in the D&D &D world? So I think my aspect would most likely be a bulldog okay. uh, that slept. It would sleep a lot. Uh, it would really love uh, love eating and playing with people, but like in a very lazy kind of way. He would also be obviously an intelligent, awakened, talking bulldog who would love to play role playing games. So oh yeah, God. I just picture like a dungeon master screen and a big <laughs> bulldog behind it that occasionally takes naps there, and that would be my aspect in the world. Running the Don't Split the Pods Perfect. network is really difficult 
what would my aspect be? Oh, laziness. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I love that because I just picture your your bulldog aspects, like wherever they are, like you as the deity sending them to like be a messenger to your clerics and whatever, and they're asleep by the time the cleric walks by, and it's like <laughs> you as the deity just get mad, and you're like, dude, you were supposed to talk to them. Now I've got to send you somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it'd be very ineffective. I am about as good with my aspects as I am with keeping up with social media and emails and other things. So that actually makes perfect sense. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you, DM Deadly Sprinkles, for that question. And thank you, James, for answering that question. Uh, So let's jump into what we have to talk about today for the meet. James, when I reached out to you, I asked about what were some things that you would be passionate about talking about on the show uh, as you rejoined us. And the thing that you decided on was monsters as playable races, which is definitely something that is uh, of interest to not only just DMs out there, but to players out there, I know, because I have been in that place as a player that I've wanted to do this and sometimes gotten the chance to do this. So I think the first thing that we should cover when we talk about monsters as playable races, I think we want to... Uh, acknowledge that there is a challenge, there's a hurdle here to having monsters as playable races. I think the first thing that comes to a lot of DM's mind is that specific types of monsters are going to make the game unbalanced. They're going to be overpowered. Mm -hmm. So what do we do as a DM to allow monsters as playable races, but to kind of overcome that challenge? Sure. And there's, I think there's a couple of different strategies, right? People can use, and this is by far one of the, the biggest challenges is balancing your monster, uh, especially when you think about, you know, like one dragon is supposed to challenge your entire party in Dungeons and Dragons. So if somebody wants to play a dragon, you've essentially, if you were to like just drop it in as written, right, you would be adding a second party basically yes. to your deal. Sometimes even a far even, more even powerful. More, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the very first thing you want to do when you go into this is let your players know, hey, we are going to probably need to make some adjustments as we play. So don't be surprised if we come in and we say, oh, this is way too powerful an ability. We're going to maybe need to take it away or we're going to need to modify this, maybe make it a little weaker. Maybe you're the runt of the litter as far as ogres go. You're not like the king ogre, right? And so I think that's a big thing that you should be open and honest with your players, particularly if you're adapting something that there aren't rules for yet. You know, if you look in Volo's Guide to Monsters, they have all of these playable, new playable races they have. And then at the end they say, and here are some other races, some humanoids from the monster manual that you might want to play as a race. But just so you know, these are not balanced against the other races we've created. And so they may create some issues for you at the table. So like even stuff that's published may not be (laughs) totally and completely balanced. So I think that's one thing you definitely want to set up from the beginning so that your players have the expectation that like, hey, things might change and you can explain to them, here's why, because you're playing the gold dragon and this guy is playing a kobold and that's not going to be fun for the guy playing the kobold if he doesn't get to do anything because you're better in every single way, right? Yes. Um, 
so yeah, that's sort of my my first thing is like establish the open and honest communication to begin with. And then also looking at what has been published as far as monstrous races go, but then also look at what's been published as far as like your traditional core playable races and say to yourself, okay, what is important to a Medusa, right? So Medusas have a lot of things. They've got their snaky hair. They've got their petrifying gaze. They've they're good at archery, right? And so look at that and then compare it to a halfling and say, well, how do I get these same effects, but I make it not as game-breaking, I make it balanced with this halfling. And I think people, if you stop and you take a minute and think about it, you can do a pretty good job. You could say, well, maybe the snake hair has a bite attack, but their poison is less, right? Or or you can make a snake hair attack if you want to, but it's not in addition to your weapon attacks. It's in place of your weapon attacks. Maybe that balances it out. Same thing with the stare. Maybe stare is your full action, right? Or, or your standard action, whatever edition you happen to be playing, whatever game you happen to be playing. And maybe instead of petrifying immediately, it takes several failed saving throws to get to that point. Or maybe you can only use it once per day and it works the way it normally does. I think there's a, a couple of different ways to look at things and balance them alongside what already exists. I think that as a DM, I think one of the things that I would do is first I'd say, well, this would not be something that I would be every single campaign I run ready to say, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, play a dragon. Oh, yeah, play an ogre. <laughs> uh, but I would look for specific uh, campaigns that that would maybe fit into to allow my players that chance to do that kind of thing. And I think kind of what you were saying, James, is number one, yeah, you have to acknowledge that it may not leads to the most balanced game. Honestly, no matter how hard we try, <laughs> D&D is never going to be exactly perfectly balanced. Uh, I think 5th edition has done a good job with that, but coming from 3.5, it, once you got higher levels, <laughs> it was never balanced, like it didn't matter mm-hmm. if you're not sharing XP all the time, it's not going to be balanced. There's a lot of that. So acknowledging that and just saying We'll work as a team to make this work as best we can. But also, like you said, being creative in you could also beyond just nerfing a the stats. Oh, you want to play a dragon? Cool. To my in my mind, I jumped into the the Aragon books where it's like, well, what if like I pair a PC that's a <laughs> a regular playable race with this character, this player who's going to be this dragon, and what if it, they hatch? And so they begin as a a baby dragon. And as they grow, yes, maybe they might get stronger, but there's this cool aspect of, yes, they're stronger, but we are together, we are bonded, and I will ride on this dragon's back into battle. And I think if you have good teamwork going, and if you have the right kind of players, balance might not be that big of an issue. Yeah. It might be more of the uh, the Avengers, like Tony Stark being like, well, <laughs> we've got a Hulk, and it's like you bust that guy out when you need him. And instead of looking at it being like, man, having that ogre is just frustrating because I don't get to do anything, uh, having them be a player that is able to help the players out of difficult situations. If you want to be that monster character, maybe it's also a good idea to try being like not the leader, but being a 
a side character or, or if you're going evil, like a thug character that just does the bidding, which if you're going something like Ogre, you can just say that that dump stat is going to be that intelligence. So you're not good at making decisions on your own. You kind of like rely on the group to the charismatic uh, half elf rogue to kind of tell you what to do in battle. And honestly, I, I like personally, I've played those characters before where it's like, I am not usually making my own decisions. I'm kind of like the dumb thug type character that listens to this other character that I have a bond with. And I've had mm-hmm. a lot of fun playing those characters. I think those characters totally. can be some of the best characters. I mean, let's, and I'm not saying that this character is dumb at all, but Chewbacca is a sidekick. Sidekicks can be like the greatest characters in stories sometimes. So I have a ton of things now. <laughs> Good job, you yes. two. <laughs> First, I did not realize that I had actually, for my current home game, have made a half Medusa race <laughs> uh, so that a player could use it. And so for the gaze, I actually made it paralysis instead of mm. petrification uh-huh. and kind of went down that route. So you can, and the other thing is like, James mentioned, look at things that are already there. So like with an attack, I would look towards like a single gore attack from a monstrous race that has horns and like do that comparison. Speaking of that, I have a Minotaur in my group as well. And the other great piece of advice is you probably aren't the first person to think of this. So go find it on the (laughs) internet and use that. Thank you, Kobold Press, for the Minotaur Mm -hmm. I used in my home game. Um, So that's, that's another thing. The big thing for me in terms of challenge and using monstrous races is size. Mm. For the most part, a party is medium sized. You may have some races that are small, but... give or take you're all usually in that medium range as soon as you start adding in monstrous races you immediately get into large or tiny depending on which avenue your players go and now if it's large or in that area everything changed because everything's based on a five foot grid if you're using it and now you have a player who is what ducking in every corridor or with the tiny one they're just zipping under every door so that's another really important thing to keep in mind that isn't quite as mechanical as we would think with like oh they get too much strength or they have this ability or things like that it's just like oh they broke the game because they're breaking (laughs) everything because there's a thousand pounds (laughs) yeah I it's funny I think about whenever this topic comes up the the book Savage Species from 35 right was the book yep. that every player loved and every dungeon master would shake their head as soon as yes. they saw somebody show up at the table with it you, I literally there were a lot of those I books, groaned already <laughs> just at the mention <laughs> Uh, and it, and I think, but I do think if you look at that book, it, it sort of like pulls the cover back on design a little bit. And you're hard pressed to find a system more crunchy, more full of rules than the 3.x era of D&D. And so that's a fun book to read. And it also is chock full of story ideas, which I know we're going to get to soon about like how these people come together One thing that, Mitch, when you were saying, talking about the Avengers, another way to, quote-unquote, balance your party, if that's something that concerns you, and you could just have everybody be super strong or epic-level monsters. That's a really fun D&D game, and it's just on you as the DM to come up with the appropriate challenges. You know, or if everybody is... Uh, somebody's a death knight, somebody's a dragon, somebody's, you know, if you have this hodgepodge of adventurers type people, that can also be 
really, really fun. And I do think it depends on the group. Like you said, I think I know my group from home would be fine if somebody was way more powerful than them, as long as that person understood how to share the spotlight and still make the story interesting. So I do think when we talk about balance, we should keep in mind the story equation, right? If you're really big and powerful, but dumb, and so somebody else directs you, they get to feel like they're part of that power, too, which is cool. Yes, and I think there's like, yeah, there's definitely this cool aspect of having somebody that you know you can rely on that is going to be like you just snap your fingers and they burst through the door and they're like, what's going on? <laughs> so uh, I definitely think there is a cool aspect of having a big, strong buddy at your side at all moments. James, you just said you could just have everybody be super strong. You could just ever have every player be a, a monster. If this is, you know, the the issue that you have and you're like, oh, this is frustrating with having uh, this BOP, like go through the monster manual, have players say, you know what, everybody, why don't you pick out a CR challenge of four and we're all going to adapt those to be playable characters. And then maybe that makes things a little bit less uh, unbalanced. Maybe it makes it more balanced. I think as a DM, one thing I've learned is that when I first started DMing, if a player were to come to me and say, I really want to role play a dragon. I would just have laughed and said, you're not doing that. (laughs) And just like, like moved on and been like, and my mind would have come from a defensive point of you are being ridiculous. Why are you even asking this? And now I'm more at the point where it's like, okay, honestly, some players may ask that just to be ridiculous. Maybe you're interested in listening to this episode because you've had players ask for things that you hear and you're like, this is ridiculous. Or maybe you're listening to this because this seems like a cool idea to you. But I think that the thing is, uh, as a DM, we're trying to have our players have the most fun they can have. So if a player even comes to you with something as ridiculous as that, it's better to not just say no and laugh in their face and just like say, get out of here. But say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I want that in my game. But let me work with you. Maybe we can have you be a half dragon kind of race. Maybe, you know, there's this other alternative that we can work on to have that drive, that passion that you have for playing a dragon fed in some other way. Yeah. So my the only other thing before we move on from me is we've all talked kind of focused at what I probably think is our DM grudge match with monstrous races is the the. (laughs) (laughs) overwhelming power that can come from that. But the flip side is one of your players might just want to be a kobold, like James mentioned, or a goblin. And now you're talking about a CR half something. So being sure that they are powerful enough to be in the same class as just your everyday human fighter is another thing to be mindful of. And especially if it's one guy wants to be a kobold, the other wants to be a gold dragon. Just... Get ready to do some work on making that balanced. <laughs> well, and I think that it's it's interesting because, you know, we're whenever we say power, I feel like the human brain goes to like physical strength, but power can be a number of things. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I think of if you're playing a if you were to play a fey creature, a tiny pixie as a like monstrous race, Like, to me, I'm like, that opens up many doors in the sense of, like, 
how you can get to places um, and like just the different kind of racial traits that your character would have that would be different. Yes, you would not be as strong physically as a gold dragon, but there are things that you could do that maybe that gold dragon cannot do that would make you very useful in the party. Uh, a pixie rogue would be an amazing thing to play. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to point out that Neil has adopted Mitch's way of saying kobold, and uh-huh. you have you are infecting no. the consciousness, Mitch. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> man, we I think that was maybe our first like uh, non five star review with somebody uh, complaining about how I said from that, now on so. I'm going to say goblin <laughs> as me? go blind. Uh, I don't I don't think people understand like people who know me in real life know that I say plenty of things strange. So our listeners hopefully at this time are just used to it. Can I, if I may, they're not real, so you can say it however you want. <laughs> they're a made-up thing. You can say I want to jump. Want. I want to jump on that train and, and totally be on, in support of what you just said because you're defending me. But I also uh, get annoyed when people say "dro" instead of "drow." So anyway, well, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Those people are terrible those people. Those people, man. Do not play anyway. games with those people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, let's transition now from this challenge of how do we kind of balance or just accepting the the non-balanced game of having monsters as playable races. Let's talk about like the amazing role-playing aspects that happen when you have monsters as playable races. Uh, a sense mm-hmm. of like the world can kind of turn upside down that monster races may not be welcome where other PC races are, but they also might be welcome with open arms where other PC races are just attacked right away, right away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. You've, you've spun the world on its head. And when you decide to play a monstrous race, this is one of the drawbacks, right? So yeah, you can play a dragon, in my campaign, sure. But when a dragon shows up in town, there's going to be consequences for that. You yeah. know, it's it, people are not you can't just go to the shop and get some potions. You can't just go to the bar and get <laughs> a beer. You can't fit uh, into the shop or the bar if you're an <laughs> adult gold dragon. Right. I right, guess they exactly. have shape changing so that maybe they can. <laughs> so adult gold dragon is the is the ultimate monster choice here. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that's. Part of the fun. I, and I, when a, a lot of times when players want to play these races, it's not because they want to be super powerful. It's because they want people to run screaming from them when they walk into town. They want to, you know, snort and sniffle like an ogre and that sort of thing. And so I think this is where you can have fun, where you can really play it up. But be aware that these are the things that are happening, particularly when you have that party that is... You know, like three elves, a dwarf, and a troll. You know, when you have one sort of outlying or two outlying monster characters, that is going to be not just hard for that character, but for the party in general, Mm -hmm. right? Why are you guys traveling with this troll? What's going on? Sure, they might vouch for them, but why would the townspeople trust them too? So on the flip side of that, of course, is that that troll has an easier time you know, talking to the orc war band and hanging out with other trolls and that sort of thing. So you sort of have a a spy in the midst if they're a good troll, right? If you're going the evil route, well then, you know, your townsfolk are your tribe of trolls and the 
enemies are the, you know, the shining city on the hill, which is a fun way to sort of flip it around. So I, I love this part. Um, it's just something I always have to write a note to myself and like stick it on the inside of my dungeon master screen or notebook or computer or wherever that says, you know, Mitch is a bugbear so that I remember that when what you do, you whether or say, not I'm playing a bugbear or not. So. Right, right. Yeah, it's just a reminder. In the podcasting, not a visual medium. Yeah. People don't know you're yeah. actually a bugbear. There um, we go. So We've but, lied you know, in the past. Think, it, it was a rumor that I was a mind flare for a while. The truth has come out. I'm a bugbear. It's exactly, exactly. So I think that, but that helps you remember then when they do try to go to the apothecary or they do walk into the tavern like, oh, right, there's a bugbear with them. That's going to start a bar fight, mm-hmm. right? So it's good to know. So the other option is changing your world to accommodate a monstrous race or a monstrous party. Let's say you know, in the example of Mitch being a bugbear, we'll go with that. <laughs> what if they are an, a race that isn't in society? The mm-hmm. bugbears are just everywhere. You know, and so you go to town and there's the bugbear bar. And it could still be that thing where the yeah, bugbear bar. <laughs> Megan Cannon. I think, hold on. I think Devin Rue, an amazing artist on Twitter, go follow her, has a bar logo called the Barfing Bugbear, and it's amazing. Ah. So um, Mitch is headed to the Barfing Bugbear, and see you guys later. (laughs) None of the other party can go with him. You know, so there's still a part of society, but there hmm. still is that separation because maybe there's still tension from the way it used to be. And I mean, obviously ramped to 11, everything's everywhere. It's just whether or not they're good or bad. And so then yes. there's no question of it. And then there's always monsters and everything like that. There's evil dwarves and there's evil elves and there's all of these things. And it's just this hodgepodge throughout your whole world. It's just another option to go with depending on what works best for you and your party. I love the idea of role playing a character that's typically like 99% plus is evil in a world. And you are like the one weirdo who is not. And you really want to just fit into this other society and you want to become an adventurer and become a hero. But mo- every time you run into people, they're scared of you. Like being uh, a friendly minotaur that everybody else just looks at you and is afraid of you. I love that role playing aspect. And I think that there are such good stories to be told with that kind of a PC. I do think that it is important to really make clear to a player who is going to be role playing something like this that, hey, so you're not going to be welcome in towns. Okay, that sounds fine. No, no, I really need you to grasp onto this. Like, we're playing a campaign <laughs> right now. You're not going to be welcome in towns. Like maybe you can get one town that you save or a couple towns that you really make a difference in to have there be a population that welcomes you in. And maybe you can even use that to be your goal to turn people to realizing that you are a true heroic character. But in general, when you go town to town, you're not going to be welcome in town. In fact, they're (laughs) going to want to kill you. And that's going to be an aspect of the game that you're going to have to get used to because I think that it can be something that really is super fun for most people the first couple times, but can become really frustrating. <laughs> uh, so I think it's good for, you know, as a DM, you're not changing the world like Neil said to that, which I think that is a good way of doing it. But if you're not going to do that, then just make sure that the players realize 
this is going to be a hard road. Like it, there's going to be a lot of fun opportunities, but it's also going to be a hard road. Yeah, it makes me think of the early R.A. Salvatore Drizdorden novels, yes. right? Drizd's sort of the original monster as hero in the Forgotten Realms world uh, before Drow were a playable race in every player's <laughs> handbook. <laughs> um, but and and you know if you read those first books when he first comes out of the Underdark, he is run out of every town, yeah. and that's how he ends up in Icewind Dale is because. He just goes north up the Sword Coast and is eventually, like, in the North Pole. And that is the (laughs) only place that a tribe of dwarves there end up accepting him through, like, a series of coincidences, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think that is such a good point. And it is such a compelling story, the good monster, right? I think we see that a lot in literature and and in fantasy so the one thing i would say is if you are playing in a world where this person is the one percent of goblins that is good and and they're traveling with everybody else make sure that that person doesn't become the focus of every single session because they're the good goblin and it's such a compelling story you know i would say let the others be involved in that but also let everybody else tell their individual story and let the monstrous character be part of you know, the rogue who wants to get back at the thief king who stole her watch or whatever, you know. So that was a terrible uh, plot line that I came up with. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Ooh, watches. Or the best plot line. <laughs> I think the flip side to that, too, is just saying, okay, well, we're we're not going to be pl- having – you're not going to be playing a monster hero, but you're going to be a monster that does fit in with the rest mm. of monster society because you're going for an evil campaign or whatever it is. One of my favorite PCs that I ever played was uh, Alhoon, a mind flayer, and it was just so fun to, at dinner time, have the party sitting around the campfire <laughs> and eating their their stew while I snacked on the brain of one of our recently felled foes. Like it was, uh, it was just a fun aspect to play with that type of monster as a PC. And uh, yeah, it was interesting creating thralls and such. So the next piece, I mean, we've already. Sorry, I'm gonna make fun of you, James. <laughs> We've already hit the cream of the crop with monstrous adventures and hunting down that watch that's missing. But what other ideas do we have for adventures that monstrous PCs could go on? Because like I said, it's very different. The society that they come from, the lives they lead and how they interact with the world is different. So it can create new and exciting adventures for your players to go on. Very true. I I mean, this is the this is the fun, I think. Uh, Every part of it's the fun, right? But like this creating adventures for particularly a group of monstrous PCs can be really fun. Mitch, you've talked about flipping the campaign on its head, having people be evil for evil's sake because that's what they're born into, that's what they know. I think you can even, when the whole party is that way, take it a step further and make humanity and humanoids the bad guys yeah you know maybe like we were all sitting pretty uh enjoying our life in the swamp as lizard men and then all of a sudden you know the these people came in they've been expanding their town more and more into our territory and the goal of the campaign is to drive those people off right (laughs) um you know which could be like a really fun thing to do and it's almost 
you could even then play the flip side of that in your next campaign and say, okay, you're the humans. Now you're going to try to take that land back, you mm-hmm. know, your, your ancestral land. And you, then you get to see the story from both sides. Like, I think we talk about all the time, right, that evil is most interesting when it does not believe it is evil. Mm-hmm. And is there is there a way that you can get your players to buy into that through this side of things, I think is really cool. The other part of this that's really cool for me is treasure becomes totally different. You know, maybe <laughs> monsters don't trade with gold and silver. What what do they trade with? Do they trade in halfling skulls? Do they trade <laughs> in... Yes. You know, seashells, like what, you know, are they, is it all pearls if you're a group of monstrous merfolk? I don't know. So you've got that, you've got that way to go with it too. And then you've also got the way of what does a magic suit of armor for a gold dragon look like, right? You know, uh, so you, you can sort of play with that kind of thing. Not that a gold dragon needs a magic suit of armor. You're probably fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> but you you can do that sort of thing and and have those rewards and explore those cultures and see like well why you know you you as the dm get to have fun and say why do the mind flares want to eat the brains of these people why do they hate the get yankee why is this the way it is and you can use the reasons provided you can come up with your own but you get to expand on that which i think is is a big big part of the fun for me and obviously the flip side is you're just a group of one percenter heroes who are out to show the world that not all trolls are bad you know um (laughs) but i think it's so interesting to make humanoids the bad guys yeah Uh, and they're the things that go bump in the night that you're afraid are going to come eat your children or whatever so first of all i love the currency idea how much is that sword oh it's three halfling skulls and a human (laughs) finger like that just that in itself i want to play a campaign just for that (laughs) but no like i i remember early on one of our top tens episodes we one of the ideas that i brought to the table was flip a campaign that you just finished on its head and role play as the monsters in that campaign where your pcs who were the heroes in the other one were fighting them and instead just have like there be a group of monsters like maybe it's uh, in the last campaign you were constantly battling goblins and trolls and that kind of thing and have your party be a group of, uh, you know, an orc, a goblin, a troll, an ogre, and they are constantly being uprooted from their home because these stinking adventures keep coming in and driving them away and killing everybody that they love. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> that, like, flips it it's on its head to make it kind of a comedic look at what's been happening, a dark comedy. But I think that, like you said, it's amazing to go – hey, like the humans are just kind of coming into our lairs and just killing us. This is kind of annoying. Or to tell like a backstory where it's like, well, the beholders were driven crazy because of something that this other race that is typically thought, like the elves thousands of years ago drove the beholders before when they were actually, they weren't evil at all down to the underdark just because they thought that they looked disgusting and the elves were totally all about what looked fair and fine and drove those beholders away. And because of that, they, they became insane and became these horrible creatures that now we uh, think they are, but to kind of look at history in a different way and go, Oh, that's, that's an interesting way that it actually (laughs) happened. 
Oh, my favorite one to flip on its head would be the idea of flipping upside down the Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. think if there was like a pair or, you know, like this adventuring party and even the splits that happen and everything like that, that were instead of, you know, the ring getting destroyed, they were trying to go get the ring from where they hmm. knew it was. Hmm. And, you know, and like at the end of it, it's just two little goblins trying to sneak into the castle finally and get the ring that they've all been trying to get. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be a really interesting way of you know just taking stories you know and yeah. then thinking of what would it be like with monstrous races in place of the humanoid races the adventures of the nazgul that would be mm-hmm. very cool oh. <laughs> oh that would be amazing because we only get glimpses of like the nazgul they mm-hmm. when they show up and find the the quote-unquote pcs of that story and to like actually role play through their journey like would be kind of awesome I realize now that they're just a medieval biker gang. Let's be honest with each other. It's totally true. We ride. (laughs) You think about they have to go through all of the same obstacles. Like they're hunting the same, the fellowship, right? So they have to go past the same marshes full of dead people and the same evil tree that Tom Bombadil has to charm and all that kind of stuff. So like... Yeah, that's totally true. How how does that go for them, right? How do they handle all of that? I think is a really cool idea. There's a I'm going to recommend a children's book now, you guys. Um, there's a children's book called Nobody Likes a Goblin, uh, hmm. and it's by an author named Ben Hatkey, and it is so very clearly D and D influenced. It's about a <laughs> goblin who a group of four adventurers who are like a wizard, a cleric, a fighter, and a rogue, show up, they raid his home, and it's all about how he goes on this quest to follow them to get his friend back. They steal his friend, Mm. who is a skeleton wearing armor. They steal him. And so it's all about his quest and how the townspeople treat him and the, the friends he makes along the way and that sort of thing. And it is a really great children's book, but it's also really great for seeing how you could flip these stories on their heads and how people of the world might react to you if you are a friendly goblin, you know? So Yeah, you get fl- like crossing the fields of Gondor now becomes dangerous territory. Going into the mines of Moria now becomes a sanctuary, a place where you're welcomed in, where you can restock. It's, oh man, this has got me so excited to flip a campaign on its head and like go through the, the just backwards the trail that the PCs went have the enemies go the other way and just flip every single place that they were at on its head and say, this place was sanctuary. Now it's a dangerous place. This place was a dangerous place. Now it's a, like your home base. Yeah. Ah, so cool. And like people, adventurers love to design their castles or whatever, right? When they get all that gold, what, what, like you get to design your lair as a monster. (laughs) So awesome. (laughs) Oh man. Like actually build in layer actions for when a group of adventurers yeah. come and attack you. You yourself get layer actions. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, the the other aspect is like it's very easy to do political campaigns as well because you could be part of a tribe of goblins, kobolds, lizard men, and like you said, it could just it could be humans or humanoids rather trying to go into you where you live. It could also just be another tribe of a monstrous mm-hmm. race that you are either trying to squash 
or trying to figure out how to work together. So I'm, those aspects are readily available as well. Yeah. Yeah, it also allows you to take campaigns to other planes of existence. Uh, mm. So, you know, if you you could be a group of demons fighting devils if you wanted to and restart the satanic panic of the 80s, probably, <laughs> uh, if enough people found out. But Or, you know, you could be... <laughs> Angels from the mounting from yeah. Mount Celestia, you know, going into Mechanis to fight Modrons or something. So you can get really, really fun and weird with it. And I do, I think these kinds of games are especially good for an experienced group that has been playing together for a long time and wants to spice things up, as it were. You know, um, it's like a great, cool. This is something interesting, and you can often then take those actions and build another campaign off of it for a more standard D&D group if you wanted to which is fine. I think I think that every time Modrons gets mentioned on the DM ble- <laughs> on the DMB I think we've won. Like I think that is <laughs> Yeah. I feel like you, you really made up made up for some lost ground there with your original watch idea to now me getting to envision angels cutting Modrons in half. <laughs> You're back. So is, is there any last thoughts that we have before we wrap up on monster campaigns, monster adventures that anybody wants to throw out there? You could, kind of going off the last thing that James said, you can easily have a short campaign or even a one-shot with monstrous races that will set the tone for what you do in your normal campaign. Hmm. The effects that happen in there could last for the rest of your campaign in that if all these devas go in and kill all of the Modrons, what happens next? And now your players have to figure that out and right the ship, as it were. Yeah, you could you could almost have the monster campaign come out of something that happened in the campaign previous and then lead into another campaign. Uh, I think that on, honestly, that's what I try to do with all my campaigns, have there be tie ins to other campaigns. And I see that my players really love that. I would definitely recommend having that be something that all DMs try to do if you're running your own homebrew world. But especially if you're doing it with this monster campaign, have it tied into something. Have have them, even if it's just a small cameo like you are in Goblin Town and the goblins tell stories of their boogeyman, which is a past PC uh, from a campaign that your players played in. And it's like the paladin character that is just was such a righteous, holy character that one of your PCs played. But to the goblins, it's the boogeyman that comes in and slays your family without any mercy. That to me just is a tiny little aspect that you can drop in uh, to make it cool. Mm -hmm. James, thank you so much again for joining yes. us. We, I mean, it'd be great to have you back in 200 episodes from now, but it'd be also great <laughs> to have you uh, earlier than that. So we won't we won't hold you to that and say you can only be on every 100 episodes. But to our listeners, tell, tell them where you, they can go and check out your work once again. Don't split the pods. Just give a little shout out to everything you do. Yes, absolutely. You can check out all of the great Don't Split the Podcast Network podcasts at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com because short URLs are for suckers and <laughs> worldbuilderblog.me for what I'm doing on, on gaming stuff and game design stuff. So that's where all the announcements and everything will be coming. Thank you so much for having me on, gentlemen. This has been amazing, and I need to get you both back onto Tabletop Babble ASAP. Yes. So, uh, because I just love chatting with you. This is awesome. 
It w- yes, it would be our pleasure. We have enjoyed having you. So, uh, all right. And with that, we will turn it over to the segment, The Mailbag of Holding. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? Welcome back to another Mailbag of Holding, the place where we take a look at stories, ideas, and questions from you, the listener. Today, I am joined with my good buddy, DM Neal. Hey, I'm here. And we are going to be looking at a email from DM Ted, the red DM Ted writes us at the dungeon masters block. And basically the sum of the email is he has an issue with the fluff and the crunch surrounding magic users and not being able to use armor at low levels. Basically he sums it up and says that he doesn't see why magic users can't use armor. Uh, the reason given in the, the D&D books is that they cannot use their magic spells and they wouldn't have freedom of movement to be able to cast spells and wave their hands and all that to be able to do that in armor. And DM DM Ted the Red writes in, and I believe that that is baloney. I challenge anyone to put on some armor, let's say football gear, then pick up a sword <laughs> and attempt to mimic the gestures of a sword fighter. Then lift up your arm horizontally and wiggle your finger. Which of those exercises was more encumbered by armor? So basically, DM Ted the Red is just saying that he doesn't like the reasoning behind mages not being able to use armor at low levels. And so he's writing in to ask us what our thoughts are about are about that are. Um, and he says that he's he's just ready to allow his wizards, his sorcerers to wear armor at low levels from the get go. Uh, so, Neil, what are your thoughts? Then I'm going to go get some football gear, a broom head. No, the <laughs> the first thing is you know, and they also put in that they would wear light armor without penalty, but medium and heavy would still require the feet, which makes perfect sense. And in a lot of ways, I can see this strong argument to even maybe dip into medium because I recently saw a video online where someone was wearing the equivalent to half, if not full plate and running through kind of a SWAT demonstration like course and like doing the roles and doing everything like that. The purpose was like, you know, like mentioned, there needs to be some mobility because you are going to get hit and try not to be hit in that armor. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I mean, I'm wholly on board with giving them light armor because the other thing is a wizard also uses a different die to roll hit points. So they are already going to be squishier no matter what. And now it's double squishy. So I can definitely see adding that to a homebrew world or just as a house rule. So I like it. Yeah, I think the danger in this is always that there are game designers at Wizards of the Coast who spent many, 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 many hours uh, working out the mechanics for this as a game. And there is a game balance issue here. Now, all that being said, at the Dungeon Master's Block, we have often said that story comes before rules. And if this is something that you don't like in your world, that it doesn't make sense to you, what I would say is that, one, I would say maybe there's a different reason that you could come up uh, to support this mechanic. Or go ahead and throw it out. That is your call as a DM. 
I would just caution the fact that, yes, it was put there mechanically for balance. And just be careful, because if your wizard comes in with heavy armor at low levels, it might make the paladin feel a little like, well, this doesn't seem fair when he's casting fireball. Yep. So that would be my last piece of advice is double check that every other player is okay with that change and then be cautious as you level up through the system because it may be that higher levels is where the issue is mechanically but always be mindful and then just get a rust monster (laughs) exactly and you know what it might be a great place to try it out just have a campaign where all the players are magic users and can use whatever armor they want perhaps even coming up with those magic users in your world are known as battle mages because they wear armor. But we hope that that is a satisfying answer for you. DM Ted the Red, thank you so much for writing in to us at the Dungeon Master's Block. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed that episode on Monsters as PC Races. It was good having James return to the Dungeon Master's Block. I'm sure that we'll have him back on again in the future. But until then, Neil, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, uh, say, write us an email, where can they do that at? You can just head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like this or any of our other episodes and see fit, head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review that puts us in front of more people to give more inspiration to the world. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can also like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, both of those places are fantastic places to go. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to... Terry Savage! Thank you so much, Terry Savage. We appreciate it. What kind of dragon is he, Neil? A savage dragon, because that's an awesome last name. (laughs) He's got you for three minutes of playtime. Oh, yeah! (laughs) Terry is a platinum dragon, so thank you so much for your support, Terry. We really appreciate it. Yes, and as always... The Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. And with that, we are shutting things down here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about, you know it, the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on dungeon mastering.
Gross. Just like us. Goodbye.